Hello, welcome to the BNB Connection. Uh, this is episode four, right, Brad? Number four, yeah. Is it number four? Yeah. So we actually recorded uh, this episode last uh, Wednesday, no, last Friday, but uh, the audio didn't work for some reason. I just got a Mac computer and I don't know what happened, but we just did a test and the audio was working, so... Hopefully we have this, to recreate that magic now. Yeah. So, but it was a great episode. So we hope that uh, it's still just as good. So, um, all right, I got to keep track of time. So it's 4:45. Brad, we have till 5:15. Then we got to stop. Okay. So today's ta- uh, today's uh, podcast is going to be on variety and training. Um, we had an email from somebody who asked us to do a, a podcast on like functional subdivisions in muscles and how you know different parts of muscles work uniquely and so you should train them uh, uniquely <clears throat> and we didn't feel like that would make a whole 30-minute podcast so we just were gonna talk about variety in general so first up we're gonna talk about kinda what what functional differentiation is or what um, what did you call it, Brad? Compartment, compartments, or compartmentalization, uh, segmentation. Yeah, they, they say different names in the literature, but basically, what it means is different parts of muscles work differently depending on the movement. So you can have one movement stress one part of a muscle, and another movement that works the same muscle group stress another part. So I guess uh, we've kind of always assumed this in bodybuilding. Bodybuilders have always done things to stress certain areas and then for some reason kind of like a decade ago we saw a backlash against this and you saw all these people say it doesn't matter if you just work a muscle pick any exercise you're going to work all the you know the whole muscle and muscles run the length of the whole like the, the muscular tendon tendinous unit goes from one end to the other so you're going to activate all the fibers in it and that's just wrong. I will say, uh, Jose Antonio wrote an awesome paper on this in, what was it, 2000, Brad? Yeah. So that was tw- 12 years ago. He wrote an awesome paper. Uh, 13. That's counting. 13. Oh, yeah, it's 2013. I do that all the time. Sometimes I forget how old I am. Um, Brad, do you remember the name of that paper? Oh, I don't, regional, regional I, I don't, yeah, but it was a classic. Regional like, hypertrophy. Uh, something like that. And, and he went into, it wasn't just about the uh, functional differentiation, um, which certainly is a big part of it, but uh, he talked about all the different aspects. One, one of my favorite articles, JSCR, was a review article. My second uh, favorite article on hypertrophy next to yours. <laughs> but really, the two of them do a pretty darn good job. Of summarizing about now here's what's crazy is he wrote that 13 years ago but now there's so much more evidence in the last in the last two years alone um, as most people know I have a research review service I can't tell you how many articles I've come across that we've reviewed a lot of them on the site probably like uh, 10 of them at least in the last two years uh, talking about this concept now so here's what's it's it depends you know like it's common sense with some muscles but not with others so like anyone knows that if you're going to work the deltoids 
you would need to do like one exercise, like say front raises, might work, work the front delts more. And if you wanted to work the side delts, you'd want to do like lateral raises maybe. Oh, hold on though, Brett, you're, you're kind of joking, because that's a different animal. That's not about the functional differentiation. You're talking about the whole muscle here. I think what you're referring to in the other context is the segmentation of a given muscle. So really that's, that's kind of apples and oranges. That we can get into as a aspect of variety, and certainly that's an important reason why you should uh, not just do one movement for each uh, area, as some people think. But the issue that you're talking about, if you want to just go a little further with that, is the fact that muscles don't span, contrary to popular belief, they don't necessarily just span from origin to insertion, and they're often subdivided by um, fascicular uh, intra they're segmented. They terminate uh, intrafasciculally. Intrafasciculally, thank you. And uh, and also, they're, they're often innervated by different nerve branches. Not only do they terminate intrafasciculally, but they are innervated differently. So they'll have different nerve branches going to different muscles. And uh, just to tease people a little, give them a little tease, uh, we're currently, uh, through my lab, Brett and I are currently working on a paper looking at hamstrings, different uh, hamstring exercises. And Preliminary results uh, clearly show that the different, by training them at different joints, at training the hamstrings at different joints, you're able to target different portions of the hamstrings. Now, do you so, have statist <laughs> statistical power on that yet, uh, Mr. Shonto? Well, I think we do. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how this works. You tell me to keep my mouth shut about it, but then you get to get all the glory. Let's oh, see I how it works. We are keeping our mouths shut. We're just spreading their appetites a little. So, so let's to, talk about well. Specifics. So, uh, essentially, what I was getting at earlier, before I was rudely interrupted, uh, <laughs> was that uh, with some muscles, it's common sense. The deltoids and the pecs, for example, you know that if you want to work the front, the side, or the rear delts, that that's just common sense. You can feel it. You can see it. With the pecs, we've always kind of seen if you want to work upper pecs, do more incline and, and you know, incline press, dumbbell incline, um, incline flies, low pulley crossovers. But uh, but some of the muscles, it's not as, um, it's not as common sense. Um, I will tell you, I've come across articles for almost every muscle at this point in time. Every muscle... And even like parts of a, like, because that's, like with the deltoids, you've got some clear differentiation there. You know, you look at the muscle on an anatomy chart and it looks, you can see like, okay, that head is going to function completely differently from that head. But with some muscles, it's not as clear cut. And recent research, so we've got, we've got recent research that, that is not just showed that you get different, well... So Brad, let's talk about first of all, how can you show different levels of activation? What what technology can you use to show different levels of the different muscles get worked differently during exercise? I'm talking about acute studies here. Yeah, and the two ways, uh, the two most common ways are through EMG analysis, that's what we're using in our study, and also MRI, a T2 MRI, where they look at changes uh, within the muscle under MRI immediately after training. Well, if you do immediately afterwards, then that's going to show you which 
which um, it shows fluid shifts. The weighted T2 shows fluid shifts. So if you do it immediately after the exercise, then you, it shows more metabolic stress, which is interesting because that goes back to Brad's article. So you can show which got activated more and which had more you know, metabolic demands. But if you wait a couple days, now you're not looking at more activation and metabolic stress. You're looking at more muscle damage. Um, and so there's going to be more fluid accumulated in the muscle that's damaged more. So that's kind of a cool aspect of MRI. Whereas with EMG, it, it's, it's a useful component of showing activation. Now, uh, Brad, did you, I couldn't, I wasn't paying attention. Did you talk about what we're doing right now? Did you hint, allude to what we're looking at? I just wet everyone's appetite. We don't want to get into specifics. Uh, the study is still underway, and uh, we should have some data, hopefully uh, uh, official data, I would say, within a month. And uh, hopefully we'll have publication shortly, and then we can tell the world. Okay, so uh, basically there there's a prior study using MRI, using weighted T2, looking at uh, looking at muscle damage in the hamstrings, um, this was, I was actually involved in this paper. This was published, uh, Mendeguchi was the main author. He's my friend from Spain. And he showed that, uh, or we showed that if you have a, if you do a walking lunge, or a, sorry, an eccentric lunge versus an eccentric lying leg curl, you get more damage. With the lunge, you get more damage in the upper hamstring area, whereas with the eccentric leg curl, you get more damage in the lower hamstring area. Uh, there actually were a group of authors who responded, who wrote a letter to the editor. They made some very good points, but we um, offered a rebuttal and made some very good points as well. Um, I have come across articles in the last year with the lumbar extensors, with the rectus femoris, uh, we saw an article in the JSCR on calves. Turning your feet out versus in activates the calves differently. Quads, we'll talk about this research in a little bit. Quads, we've got some really fascinating research that's emerged. Uh, so we talked about hamstrings. Oh, glutes. Glutes, there is actually a studies from like the 1940s um, and 60s showing differential activation with the upper and lower um, segments of the glutes. Uh, for example, if you just lift your legs straight out to the side, frontal plane hip abduction, you activate the upper gluteus maximus, but the lower stays silent. Um, uh, I'm just going up the, um, the, going up the chain with uh, abdominals. There is uh, research showing, and some really good research lately, showing that the, uh, the, the rectus abdominis muscle activation changes depending on whether the movement is more oriented towards the spine and kind of like the rib cage, like a crunch movement, versus working more on the pelvis, like a posterior pelvic tilt, as in a reverse crunch movement. The, re the, the posterior pelvic tilt will activate more lower abdominals. Um, pecs we already talked about. Deltoids we already talked about. I do want to add, as far as the, uh, the lower abdominals go, one of the issues that... We have when people say, "Well, it doesn't that it really there isn't any activation." Some of the studies have just used a straight leg raise without a posterior pelvic tilt, and that really is a big issue. That uh, if you just raise your legs, you're not there's no 
reason that the lower abdominal region would be activated, contrary to what people think. The activation, it seems, is through you have to be able to engage a posterior pelvic tilt to achieve that. And that is a limitation. There's been several studies. I know uh, Stu McGill did one where it was just a straight leg raise. didn't show anything, and you wouldn't anticipate it would. Uh, it's basically just hip flexion. It is not, uh, you're not engaging the lower abdominals actively. Um, they, they, their group did a study probably a year and a half ago that did show differentiation whether the abdominals were acting on the pelvis or not. So they've, and, and, and heck, even Stu McGill did a, a study with belly dancers showing that the belly dancers could completely, they were, this was insane, they could completely isolate parts of certain muscles like the rectus abdominis, they, they could completely activate one portion over another that's how they can do those crazy maneuvers. But with with most abdominal exercises, you get similar activation. But when you are, it depends on what joint you're acting on. Um, that's with the rectus abdominis. But my, my point is to show that you get, um, you can see selective activation. I think a, a study came out with lats, if I'm not mistaken, rec more recently. Or maybe it was just, oh, you know what, maybe it was looking at the fibers Maybe it was an anatomic. So sometimes you see modeling studies. Where Here's the real, to me, the real exciting aspect of this. So we can talk about, well, so what? People can say, so what? There's been the recent studies have shown the Wakahara studies. Well, hold on. Before we get into the training studies, Brad, I want you to describe the, the quadriceps research. So we've, we've talked about activation, but here's something really exciting. The Brad reviewed, he was a, one of the reviewers for an article, and this one looked at uh, qu the quadriceps, and there have been studies that show with, for example, with leg extensions, you get more hypertrophy in the proximal quadriceps compared, sorry, in the distal quadriceps compared to the proximal quadriceps. The lower quads will get more muscular than the upper quads from leg extensions. But Brad, this did not have to do with activation, did it? What did it have to do with? Yeah, so well, that's where I was going with this, that there's somewhat conflicting evidence that this had to do with the lack of oxygenation, the hypoxia within the muscle they attributed uh, to greater um, results. And it's been shown there's a hypoxic effect can increase the metabolic demands, uh, increase metabolic stress, and have other potential. We're not even sure what all the mechanisms are that might be mediating the hypertrophic response. But that the same, uh, Miyamoto, that was through Miyamoto, that he is part of the group with Wakahara. Now, Wakahara, and this is to me, is well, real quick, Brad, part of the real exception. I'm going to cut you off again, sorry. sorry. So further explain that. When you're doing a leg extension, you're getting more blood flow to the upper quadriceps or, or just well, less, they're, they're, you're getting less saying, blood they, flow. Right, they're saying there's more compression of the, uh, the, the circulatory system in the lower region, so it's cutting off the uh, oxygenation levels. They and use so oxygenation when, techniques. When Brad says hypoxia, you're getting less oxygen to the lower quadriceps when you do leg extensions, and because of that, you're getting more metabolic stress in, that, in those areas and greater hypertrophy. And if you look at bodybuilders compared to powerlifters, Bodybuilders do leg extensions, you know, they're, they're, they do a lot more isolation work. They do have larger quadriceps. When you look at bodybuilders compared to powerlifters, you'll see more hamstring development um, because they're doing the leg curls. They're, um, you know, they're 
working more there is it just plays a case for variety and movement which we'll touch on later but Brad's been trying to mention this a couple times and I want to properly introduce this so we've got all these mechanistic studies fine we're showing greater activation in the muscles but that just like you know acute studies just let us form good theories but really you want to see a good training study a longitudinal study showing okay I did this exercise this exercise activates this certain portion more I did it for a period of time and I showed greater results I showed actual growth like more growth not just activation you actually showed more hypertrophy in this area so Brad are there any studies linking increased activation to increased hypertrophy yeah, no, there's two studies by Wakahara, and Miyamoto, the one who did the study on the quads, actually is part of that group, so uh, they are, they're doing similar research, obviously. And the Wakahara studies, they actually did two, was, uh, they looked at the triceps, triceps brachii, and they found that the activation of the muscle through MRI, they used MRI, activation was correlated with hypertrophy, so they did a, an acute study looking at where the a muscle is being activated. Then they did a, a training study. It was, I believe, a 12-week study uh, doing one, one of the studies used the lying tricep extension and the other one used a uh, close grip bench press. And both of them, they, they actually found there was diff different activations with those exercises and where the activation happened correlated with the uh, hypertrophy that was seen. So really interesting and it really goes to show where so this a was a this was a huge win for bodybuilders who've been saying this all along you need to do multiple movements for a body part because where where you activate a muscle the most is where it grows the most it doesn't just grow uniformly across the entire muscle so theoretically if you do a, a you know several exercises you can end up working the entire muscle to its greatest degree yeah and if i can so to me, I think not only is that important, but we need, then need, so we can extrapolate this, and I think we want to tie this into the variety aspect, that uh, there are some people, some fitness professionals, that say, oh, just do your basic big moves, do, you, do squats, do bench press, uh, do shoulder press, uh, do... Uh, Deadlifts and, and like a row, and, and, then, and that's all you ever need to do. Like that's all you ever need to do. The big five are like squats, deadlifts, bench press, military press, and bent over rows. Or, you, or the maximum hypertrophy, yeah. that, is, that is a misguided statement. So certainly that's going to get you stronger. But even something like now you mentioned before, and this is why I do think it's important to mention, we talk about like it, the deltoids. And people say, well, a shoulder press, you just do a shoulder press, and you get all three heads of the deltoids. So why bother doing your isolation type moves, your targeted movements? Not the case. If you look at a shoulder press, the muscle that is directly opposing gravity is going to take the brunt of the uh, of the activation. So, what is directly opposing gravity during a shoulder press? Your anterior delt. And this has actually been shown recently. There's been a, a recent study that actually looked at that. Uh, so, you're going to get a lot more. It's, yeah, are you going to get some middle delt? Yes. Are you going to get some posterior? A little, but certainly not to the degree. If you just do shoulder presses, you're going to have uh, significantly overdeveloped anterior delts vis-a-vis -vis the middle and the posterior depth. I think um, with my EMG research, and I think I've seen several studies, but yeah, you get the most, as, as, as um, normalized MVC, you get the highest activation in the front, followed by the middle, and then the rear delts, they get activated well, and they even, the rear delts will activate just to stabilize the shoulder to kind of... That's correct. Um, but they're not 
if you really want to maximize your activation on the rear delt, you have to do rear delt raises. Or yeah. you got to work at all three planes. But basically, and Brad, which cut. grip is best for the rear delt raise? <laughs> well, we did find that a neutral grip was better than a pronated grip uh, for um, for activating. Now, how much of it, if you're a bodybuilder, probably enough to make a difference, and I would recommend it. If you're just a recreational train, trainee, I'd probably say just use whatever is more comfortable for that you. That was a paper we got published. That was just published a couple months ago in the JSCR. That's correct. Um, so, okay, so... Uh, we've been talking about variety. We've talked about the Miyamara study, the Wakahara studies. Um, we've well, talked about some things that we should, we've got to talk about. Yeah, that, we've got to uh, talk about more about variety here. So, uh, yeah. what 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 more can we talk about? We've got about ten minutes left, Brad. So, some things with variety. How do you incorporate variety in training? So, first, Brad, talk about uh, active insufficiency and why this is important to know for hypertrophy. Yeah, so we know that just changing the planes, as we talked about, let's say for shoulders and, and various other movements for the, the lats, doing rows in the sagittal plane, rows in the horizontal plane, transverse plane, row, and uh, lat pull-downs or chins in the frontal plane. So it's certainly changing your planes a good way. But the concept of active insufficiency is really important to understand. And that says that a muscle, when a two-joint muscle, so a muscle that crosses two joints, and there are many of them in the body. Uh, if you stretch that muscle and place one end under a stretch and then, and then um, be active at the other end, you will increase its force production. And if you shorten the muscle at one end and then act upon it at the other, that will decrease its force production. So it gives us a, lot, a huge amount of variety that we can accomplish and thus gives us a huge amount of potential for sculpting our body for uh, targeting different muscles. So, so let's no, take you, you, uh, you can, that plays a, um, that's imp important to know not only for work for that muscle, the, that two joint muscle, but for yeah, also muscles. working the synergist right. that it works with. So give us an example of the calves and the soleus. Okay. Yeah. So the classic one is the, uh, the gastroc and the soleus. So the gastroc crosses, we know, two joints where the soleus, soleus only crosses the ankle joint, whereas the gastroc, not only is it a plantar flexor, a uh, extender of the uh, ankle, but it also is a, a knee flexor. It assists the hamstrings in flexing the knee. So if you By the way, the people, knee, whenever they do Nordic hamstring curls or glute ham raises, beginners will always cramp up in the calves and they don't understand why, and it's because the right. calves work as knee flexors. So if you are doing a seated uh, calf raise, the, the gastroc already is shortened because it is, the knee is flexed. So obviously with the joint action is flexion. If you flex the uh, knee, you will shorten it. So if you shorten the gastroc, the soleus is therefore going to have to take over a majority of the work. And that's actually been shown recently too in a study. Whereas if you do a standing hamstring, uh, a standing uh, calf raise, the gastroc will be lengthened at the knee joint, and thus it will act uh, to a much greater degree in the plantar and plantar flexion. So let's talk about other two joint muscles. You've got hamstrings, you've got rectus femoris, you've got biceps and triceps. So with the let's talk about the rectus femoris. When you are and the hamstrings, the rectus femoris and the hamstrings in a squat, for example, don't in a lunge they don't change length much. They right. they might lengthen. Depending on pelvic tilt, like if you're in anterior tilt, 
if you go down into anterior tilt, they might lengthen a little bit, but it's not going to be that much. So they, they're, they're not going to activate that high because they're not being stretched uh, much. And so, um, so, if, so if you're doing a squat or even a leg, a leg extension where you're bent over, the rectus femoris is not at a good length. Um, and so the vasties are going to work harder. If you think of a barbell hip thrust, the hamstrings are shortened. And as you thrust the weight up, the hamstrings get shorter and shorter as you move into hip, uh, hip, hip extension and hip hyperextension. Hamstrings keep getting shorter. The glutes have to keep doing more and more and more. So if you want to, you know, if you're doing hip extension and you want the glutes to do more, do bent-legged hip extension work. If you want the hamstrings to do more, straighten that leg out. If you want uh, the rectus femoris to do more, you want to be you don't want to be bent over in hip flexion. You want to be more upright and do. I mean, theoretically, you'd want to do like leg extensions from a lying position or something if you really wanted to focus and maybe combine some sort of hip flexion moment with it or something. But anyway, I'm, I've never, I guess I haven't seen a study how to maximize the... I was going to say also that what you just spoke about is reason why certainly with the hamstrings, you need to do direct hamstring work. You can't just rely on squats leg presses, lunges to, to develop your hamstrings because they're not going to be as nearly as active as your glutes and your quads. Certainly your vasti, in those exercises, you need to do the single joint movements, your uh, Romanian deadlifts, your uh, hamstring, your leg curls. Um, and we can also talk the upper body. You mentioned like the triceps. Well, if you we know that the long head of the triceps crosses the shoulder joint, whereas the medial and lateral heads don't. So if you want to target the long head, you bring your arm up into flexion, your shoulder yep. into flexion, and that stretches the long head and do, let's say, an overhead tricep extension. Or if you're doing a press down, kick back, one of those type of exercises, the long head will be shortened now because you're bringing it into extension of the shoulder joint, and thus the medial and lateral heads will take over. And if you wanted to work the long head of the biceps more in a curl, what would you do? Well, generally the long head of the biceps, uh, because because of its attachment, uh, it's, that's a little harder to functionally differentiate, but uh, bringing, the, um, bringing it back, the, it's like a uh, drag curl or an incline curl, will work the long head more, um, as well as uh, you'll, you'll also you'll get the short head more if you... Uh, because the long head also is a uh, abductor, so if you're doing this, you can target the short head to a greater degree. Um, okay, so we have about five minutes left. We've talked about active insufficiency. We've talked about functional differentiation. Now let's just talk about variety. How can I, um, how can I incorporate variety into training without being like, you know, muscle like? without being like P90X muscle confusion, you don't want to just have too much variety. There's a sweet spot. So I always like a, um, an article that Charles Staley and Keith Snydman wrote several years ago for T Nation, and they called it Same But Different. You want to stick to this, you know, the best movements, but you vary them slightly so that you know, you're doing them differently over time. So. And this is what Westside Barbell Club does with their powerlifting. They will do, you know, they pick a max effort lift, squats, deadlifts, or good mornings, but they have a million different ways to do it. You can vary, what are the things you can vary, Brad? You can vary 
Now, just talking about exercise positioning, you can stance, stance with, foot flare, range of motion, um, barbell loading where it's loaded. You know, for squats, you could do wide stance squats, narrow stance squats. You could turn the feet out more. You could do more box squats where you sit back more and keep vertical tibia. You could do more full, like Olympic squats where you sit straight down and let the knees travel forward more. You get more dorsiflexion. You could do front squats, back squats, high bar, low bar, zercher, box. You could, you could do so many different types of squats. There's so many different types of deadlifts. So many type ways to, you know, there's different ways to bench press with a wider grip, with a closer grip, um, with a pause on your chest. There's so many ways to incorporate variety. But what, so that's just with exercise technique and, and loading. But what else with program design? How can you incorporate variety? I think the other thing now, if your goal is hypertrophy, um, incorporating single joint movements is a very important aspect uh, to complement. Do you want that to be the focus of the program? No, that the focus would be on your multi-joint movements, but that you do incorporate single joint movements into the routine. That yeah. the, If you're focusing on strength, you can very much limit, in my humble opinion, very much limit the single joint movements that you do. Uh, to a large extent, unless you're just looking for the specific weaknesses you might have. But for hypertrophy, if you really want to optimize hypertrophy, and now again, we're talking, so for the, if you're just a recreational bodybuilder or whatever, and you know, it's not uh, your goal to, to step on stage, how much that's going to matter? Probably not a lot, but that is the difference. And someone who really wants to take their physique to that next level, uh, that's where you really have to start focusing on that. So this is where I think it gets a little convoluted and people often talk about, well, you just need to do this or you just stick to the basics, whatever. The more you want to optimize a, uh, a goal such as hypertrophy, the more you're going to have to start to, uh, to focus on these others, the smaller things to get that optimization. That's where you kind of eke out that last 5%. Uh, of your gains. So you always want the goal, the, the focus to be on get get stronger at the compound lifts, but never get if hypertrophy is the goal, never get so get stronger at the expense of good form and using the right muscles to do the job. And then incorporate uh, variety by using isolation movements and things like that, and just add those on. And you don't always have to be thinking progressive overload with these isolation movements. Sometimes focus on quality. Sometimes go for the pump. Sometimes do high reps. Sometimes low reps. Sometimes slower tempo. Sometimes faster tempo. Sometimes less rest periods. Sometimes more. Um, sometimes you know do different. Do hit. You know sometimes use band resistance. Sometimes cable. Sometimes dumbbell. There's so many ways to incorporate variety. So Brad, we have it is 5:15. We have taken up our 30 minutes. That is it for this uh, week's BNB uh, Connection. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, don't be afraid to give us some ideas for the next show because we're all ears if you've got ideas for us. And hopefully, and just to add also, please uh, uh, add some comments in the discussion if you feel uh, differently. We'd like to hear about it. Uh, to us, really, what we're looking to do is to uh, provoke thought, to stir discussion and debate and to hopefully advance the, uh, the field in this manner so that we can really take a more scientific approach to what sometimes is, uh, is bogged down in bro science. Thank you very much for watching.